You are listening to Love Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. I am a systems nerd. I love making systems. So that's something else I just love to do. So if you put me in a situation, I'm going to look for the system that I can make and I can create out of that. So that really came naturally to me. My desire to do that, and it's not to say that it's been easy, but my desire to be able to set it up so that people would have a consistent experience from customer to customer to customer um, is something that I get really excited about doing and I can really geek out on that stuff. So I was very fortunate early in my career to have the experience of um, exchanging my labor and work directly for only housing and food and that was um, in in another country Uh, and what I learned through that experience was what that reward felt like to get to have my personal motivations be so aligned with the motivations of an organization that all I really needed in return was to basic living security. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you are listening to Love Maine Radio, show number 290. Cleaner homes and beds for all, airing for the first time on Sunday, April 9th, 2017. Is it possible to take a good thing and make it even better? Today we speak with three entrepreneurs who are taking a unique approach to helping people have happier homes. Joe Walsh is the founder and CEO of Green Clean Maine, an innovative, environmentally friendly home cleaning company. Amy and Allie Smith offer an earn-a-bed program through their nonprofit, Healthy Homeworks. We think you'll enjoy this show. Thank you for joining us. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, Life is complicated enough, and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information. Love Main Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at Aristel.com. Today it is my pleasure to speak with Joe Walsh, who is the founder and CEO of Green Clean Maine, an environmentally friendly home cleaning company serving Greater Portland since 2007. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thanks for having me, Lisa. I really like many things about your company, um, not the least of which is that you've been thinking about uh, healthier homes and non-toxic products for longer than many people have been. Yeah. Um, Ten years now. Yeah, we're going to be celebrating our 10th anniversary in October. But the start of the idea of the business was, you know, just over 10 years ago. We're at March now, end of March already, so it was just over 10 years ago that the idea first started germinating in there, you know. Appropriate for like a green clean idea. Yeah. Things growing in the right way. Tell me a little bit about your background. Why is it that, um, what was it about your growing up life in Rhode Island that caused you to think, huh, I think I'd like to go to Maine and open a green cleaning company. Well, it, it, you know, I think it's one of those stories that I sort of ended up 
with you know starting a cleaning company it, it I didn't move to Maine with that intention um, but back in Rhode Island I had gotten interested in environmental issues through the the road of sustainable development I was involved down there in um, a community group that had gotten together to try and block or significantly change this suburban sprawl development that was going to be massive and would have completely changed the character of my hometown. I come from a very rural farming type place in Rhode Island and um, real small town and this development that was going to go in would have uh, just brought a a whole mess of suburban sprawl to the town that was totally out of character with like the rolling hills and the stone walls and it just totally out of out of place there and the more I learned about it the more I realized how environmentally irresponsible it was to build that way and I became really interested in sustainable land use and sustainable land use development um, and really interested in Places that had managed to remain walkable, places that weren't auto-centered. Um, you know, I had lived in Ireland for about 18 months after I graduated college and lived in a city there that's much like Portland, actually, Galway, Ireland on the West Coast. And they're, they're very similar, Portland and, and, and Galway, in that they're both very walkable. They have vibrant food scenes and vibrant music scenes and vibrant art scenes and just a really cool energetic small city and i you know that is part of what drew me to portland um but it was also this kind of idea this interest in environmental sustainability so i was looking for a way to get involved in a business that would be making money but also benefiting the environment at the same time and i saw an opportunity in portland um that was a like a <clears throat> three or four month contract job it was like a summer gig and it was selling advertising for a startup publication called the sunrise guide and um you may know it now it looks like yeah, we've had heather on the show before oh good well that's great um yeah he heather and i are good friends and so i ended up coming here to help heather get the sunrise guide started and sell advertising and what i found when i was working and meeting all these great small business owners was just a super supportive small business community in the Portland area. And everybody's helping each other out and supporting each other. And I found it really inspiring. And I think that, you know, it was, I fell in love with Portland and I think it was falling in love with Portland and also being exposed to all of these sustainable businesses by selling advertising for the Sunrise Guide that really kind of pushed me to want to go into business for myself because I've been thinking about it for a while. But the question was, how do I figure out how to make a profitable business and benefit the environment at the same time? And so um, we had a really tough time finding home cleaning companies to advertise in our guide because they all said they were too busy. All the green cleaning companies were too busy. So the light bulb went off and I said, hmm, I like to clean and there might be an opportunity there, you know. So um, I just started researching business plans and, you know, how that sort of thing worked. And um, it was a good fit for me because my father is a residential construction contractor. So I'd been used to being in people's homes and providing service in people's homes. So I was really comfortable with that, with that kind of atmosphere. And the idea made sense to me. And so 
that's kind of how I got into it. What was your original educational background? What did you think you were going to be doing when you were in college? Oh, boy, that's a great question. Um, when I first, I majored in communication studies because I thought I was going to be on the TV or in the radio. That was my thing. I, I wanted to be somehow involved with communication, broadcast communication. I didn't know if it meant I was actually going to be on the air or if I was going to be, you know, in the production studio or, or whatever, but I was fascinated with television and radio. But that was when I was 18, and, you know, things change pretty quickly when I got into college. I stuck with the communication studies and actually got a bachelor's degree in it, but my interest leaned, started to lean more towards uh, leadership studies and organizational communication, you know, more, more the organizational and business kind of application of communication. And, um, and I have an academic minor in leadership studies, too, so that was always interesting to me. You also were part of the, you're a 2016 graduate of the Maine Center for Entrepreneurial Development's Top Gun program and the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program at Babson College. So you've continued this interest in business and leadership in in a more, um, I guess, academic way and practical. Yeah, I I mean, I think, so I like to think of Green Clean Maine as my MBA program because I thought of going back to school to get some more formal training in business, but it just didn't seem to make sense because by the time I got Green Clean Maine to a point where it was kind of self-sustaining, which is probably year seven or eight, I realized that, you know, I've really learned a lot and I can really focus my training and my education on more practical, you know, seminar type programs that are just going to expand my expand my mind really is what I need to do. Um, so that's kind of how I've continued my education. So Top Gun was great for that because it exposed me to people and concepts and ideas that I wouldn't have otherwise been exposed to. And also helping me to think bigger. I think when you start out, I mean, I started the business, I was scrubbing toilets and, you know, on my hands and knees, scrubbing floors and doing everything um, from cleaning the showers to doing all the business planning and, and accounting and all that. And I think when you start from there, it can sometimes be difficult to take things to the next level. You have to start to think bigger and, you know, think of yourself. I've had to learn to think of myself as the owner of a company, not, you know, a guy who cleans or, you know, even a guy who manages a couple of people. So that's what those programs have really helped me with is the kind of bigger picture stuff. Having um, some experience with uh, men in my life, there's not necessarily uh, it doesn't necessarily follow that you would like to clean. And I'm not <laughs> saying it's, it's I know that I, I said this in such an awkward way, like um, <laughs> maybe just not the men that I know love cleaning, yeah, as much. Yep. But you said you like to clean. I do, I do, and um, you. You wouldn't have known it by, say, looking at my college dorm room, you know, because I don't think that, for me, it was always something I actively paid attention to. But um, when I was uh, a teenager, I would spend weekends, like, detailing my car. And when I used to work in my dad's construction business, I would take, you know, time to clean out the work vans and get everything neat and organized. And it's just something that I always enjoyed doing. I always found cleaning to be very cathartic, you know, just really 
makes you feel good when everything's clean and neat and organized, you know, and it actually also helps, I think, clear the mind too. And there's actually research that supports this. Of course, since I've been doing this for so long, now I hear a lot about cleaning and there's a lot of research that actually supports the idea that for some people, actually, uh, mental health therapists will actually like tell people to clean as part of their therapy, you know, so there is definitely something to that, um, to that, but yeah, I just enjoy it. I just really get satisfaction out of seeing something start out looking one way and then you spend some time with it and you can take a step back and look at your work and there's a lot of satisfaction with that. Just seeing everything just so and everything really shining at its best. In a way, it's like a passion for restoring things. You know, I want to, I want things to look and feel the best they possibly can. So I think that's probably where that, where that comes from. But well, I do like it. And I need to back up and say that was a fairly egregious statement on my part. That just because you <clears throat> are male doesn't mean that you would like to clean. Because actually, I do know <laughs> men that like to clean. So I need to apologize to any man who's listening because that was a ridiculous thing to say. And well, I'm, I'm glad that you like to, to clean. Personally, I like to clean too. And there is something that is very... Um, that's, I don't know, something about folding laundry, for example. Yeah. You know, you, you pull it out, you put something dirty in, and by the time it comes out of the dryer, it's clean. And it's, you fold it up, and then you get to use it again, and there's something very, um, I don't know, satisfying about it's very that. Very satisfying, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't blame you for saying that there, you don't know a lot of men who want to clean, because I just think it's true. I don't think it's a sexist statement. I mean, I don't know a lot of men who want to clean, and I'm in the business, you know. So this is a business that's definitely the, the doers, the people who actually do the work, it's definitely dominated by women. You know, I do have a couple of men who work for me, but it's mostly women um, who work for me who have the interest in doing in doing the kind of work, you know. We were referred, and when I say we, I mean my household. And and I should be clear, actually, the man in my life, he actually keeps things nice and neat. So <laughs> he may not love to clean, but he likes things to be tidy, and he likes things to be neat, and he will clean. But we, yeah. were, we were referred to um, your business through uh, a designer a friend of ours, Brett Johnson. Oh, um, I love Brett. Yeah. Big fan of his work. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah. And um, we actually, I think we waited about a year because we had people who were working with us already, and they were good, mm-hmm. um, before we finally got in touch with your business. And it was truly amazing it was to be able to i think i saw the car that was a green clean main main car this is a tribute to your i guess communication skills that you have these cars out there i made the phone call i immediately talked to somebody i immediately got a um a quote based on the information that i was given i mean it was it was impressive just from the very beginning that we were talking to a person we didn't have to wait and there was you had a system in place there was yeah. already a system for just knowing how much it was going to cost yeah so i'm first of all thank you for sharing that and i'm super glad to hear that you had such a great experience so that's exactly the kind of experience i want people to have so um, i'm really glad to hear that I am a systems nerd. I love making systems. So that's something else I just love to do. So if you put me in a situation, I'm going to look for the system that I can make and I can create out of that. So that really came naturally to me. My desire to do that, and it's not to say that it's been easy, but my desire to be able to set it up so that people would have a consistent experience from customer to customer to customer um, is something that I get really excited about doing and I can really geek out on that stuff so I'm I'm glad to hear you had that experience from the beginning I 
I knew, I set out knowing that I was going, I wanted to build a professional organization. So I wanted to make it bigger than just me and a couple of other people cleaning houses. And I, so all along was looking for ways to systematize things, but not without, I didn't want it, I didn't want it to feel like a big corporation or didn't want it to feel like a franchise or anything because it's not we have that independent spirit and we have been built from the ground up and I also wanted the people who worked in my company to feel like they can be themselves and really relate to people and get to know people and that's really important to me um, but at the same time there's got to be solid systems behind that you know to to back it up so I'm glad to hear that you <laughs> You had that experience. Well, it, it it was great because it was also very clear immediately, this is going to cost this much money. Mm-hmm. And um, this is when we will show up and this is what's going to happen next. And, and that makes a big difference because um, I've been fortunate to have people who have helped clean my house for a long time because as a person who works outside the home, married to other person who works outside the home with mm-hmm. children, um, that was just something that we chose to prioritize yep. for a long time. And so I have a lot of experience with people um, who are willing to help out with that, and it's 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 varied. It you know, sometimes varied. we've had we have had people who are really good and they communicated really well, um, and sometimes we would go weeks without people showing up, mm-hmm. and we would we always pre-cleaned, um, mm-hmm. and then we would pre-clean and we'd wait, and there wouldn't be anybody showing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it it so we just you know. Admission. We 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 actually still use your company. We had the we went through the process, and what was also great was that you came. Your company comes in and does uh, a mandatory like thorough. I don't even remember what it's called, but our it, initial deep cleaning initial service, deep yeah. cleaning service. So like it's you. It's like you want to get people on track, and you're going to start with the grittiest, grimiest, get everything all done, so that when the cleaning continues you're going back and it's more routine yeah it's also because i want to be able to guarantee our work so i am not going to feel like i can guarantee that your house is going to stay looking spick and span if we don't have the chance to hit the reset button first i feel like once we've put our hands on every surface in your home we're now responsible for the cleaning because we've had the opportunity to get everything to a baseline so now i can tell you as a customer i 100 percent guarantee that we're going to keep this place spick and span for you and you're going to love it so but I, that's why we have to do the deep cleaning first or we just can't we can't guarantee anything you know we have to get into every nook and cranny yeah and it was great because we ended up <clears throat> because the quote was over the phone um people came into our house and they said well you know your tub is a little bigger than we expected it's going to take us a little longer so you know is it okay if we go ahead yeah. and so we were just aware at every step there weren't any surprises this is how much it's going to be this is what you should and and they were very thorough they were there for hours doing this it's not yeah. like we have a huge house but i mean they were there for a really long time even even it, the size of the house doesn't necessarily dictate how long it would take and, and neither does you know, if it takes a really long time, does it mean, oh, your house was super dirty or anything, but it's got to do with how many rooms you have and how much stuff you have and the way the rooms are laid out. I mean, there's a lot that goes into why it would take longer than than other than other things. But yeah, we really try and communicate with people um, along the way. And, and I believe that if you create good, reliable systems that work, 
people will thrive within those systems. So I don't think that if you create really good systems, it means that every movement is scripted and people sort of seem stiff and impersonal. I think it's quite the opposite. I think if you have a really, really solid system in place that your employees know work, that the system works, then they can feel free to act within that system and be themselves and you know make sure that the focus on the client rather than focus on like how are we going to get this work done so um sounds like it worked <laughs> in yeah. your case i'm glad to hear that yeah definitely <laughs> did we you know every week when because we have our house cleaned every two weeks and i'm telling you i have literally because i have three children and have been a doctor for 20 mm. years i and i'm very fortunate that um, i've had this sort of help i i have so much experience that mm. i it's very rare that we had had people before that would come in clean the house and then leave us a nice note and say you know have a good day or oh, you know. the notes the notes <laughs> and, and it was really it's really great you know it, it and after enough notes we actually did go on yelp and leave a positive review which was something that was asked oh, and, and we yeah. you know you guys follow up via email and i think one of the reasons i like this so much is that i'm also a systems nerd i mean mm. I, I feel like there are things that you can just put in place they shouldn't be it, it's a nice structure to work within. Mm-hmm. So you're not like wasting time. If you put That's something right. good in place from the beginning, then you don't have to waste time messing around That's with right. the same, doing the same thing over and over again in an inefficient way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to set it and forget it. I mean, and nothing in business is truly set it and forget it. You're constantly revisiting and revising. And that's something I've learned al- along the way. You know, I think when I first started out, I thought I'm going to build these systems and then I'll be able to walk away and everything will just be hunky dory. But It doesn't really work that way. You always have to revisit and revise and, and check and test. Is this working? How do what do we need to change? But but I, I completely agree with you. you. You set up that system, and then you don't have to waste mental energy thinking about how to reinvent the wheel every time you have to go do this thing, whatever it is that you have to do. So, so you started out yourself and mm-hmm. somewhat smallish, mm-hmm. but I've now seen your cars in lots of places. I know you have mm-hmm. different teams all over the place. What is your reach? Well, we uh, serve currently Saco to Freeport and West to Wyndham. We're talking about expanding that a little bit farther out. Um, and I've got just shy of 30 people cleaning. And so every day there's going to be somewhere between 22 and 27 people out cleaning homes and small offices for Green Clean Maine. And I've got 14 vehicles out on the road, I believe. So those are the little white cars you see with the logo um, all around the, the Portland area. But uh, but yeah, that's that, that's our reach now. I mean, I can see us getting out to Sebago Lake to the west a little bit. So that's a little bit farther than we go now. But I can see us getting out there soon. And I can see us getting as far south as Kenny Bunker Wells because um, we're getting more and more demand from that area. You know, people really wanting us to come down there. So... I think we're we're getting ready to make make that leap. Yeah, I think it took us a little while to get on the schedule. I mean, clearly you're very popular. It seems like whatever it is that you're doing must appeal to people. Yeah, I mean, I for for us the the toughest thing and I think you you'll hear this from a lot of business owners is finding good people to to do the work. And we also have a training pr- process that is rigorous, so it takes a while for us to ramp up for staffing. 
to add capacity. So we our basic training is three weeks of direct supervised training. We we have new people come in and work with a team leader and and train hands on, and it's all supervised. And there's a lot of follow up and a lot of and a lot of you know supervision and checking of work and and things like that. And then after the initial three weeks, there's another two months of sort of you know you're you're done with basic training but you're still being supervised and and things so it it takes a while for us to really get someone to the point where we know that they're able to do what we need them to do um so that's sometimes why the wait when people call and they might you might have to wait a couple of weeks before we can get you on the schedule um because it's just a it's a capacity thing for us and and how has it been for you to um, retain hire and retain people who want to do this work and want to do it well that's a great question I think we I know that we do a a good job at this as compared to other people in our industry but it's still a very high turnover industry so you know our average length of employment for people once they get past training is two years so you know, if you take everyone who's working for me right now, I have some people who have been with me for almost six years. I have some people who have been with me for just a few months. If you average it all out, it's two years, which in this business is good. That's a really, a really healthy, really healthy number, but it's still a high turnover, high turnover industry. But we're getting each year that number gets higher. So our goal is to make that average more like four years. That's where we really want to be. So we're, we're working on that. But we are finding success because in finding good people for a few reasons. One is we, you can actually make pretty good money working for us as a housekeeper. So you're going to make better money than you, you're going to make better money by the end of your first year than you would working in most of the hotels in the area, for example. So if you're looking at housekeeping work, um, and we also provide so much training that we find our employees really appreciate the structure and the training. I mean, the training program is very structured. Again, you're talking about systems. We really work hard to make sure everybody gets the same information and that it's people learn as they go. Um, and we have some great trainers who are really can adapt to people's different learning styles. And we just get a lot of feedback that our 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 employees appreciate that. And so it's you know it's. Um, we, we attract people because we're not corporate, because we're a smaller company. We have a little bit of a personality, I think, and we're really sort of engaged in the local business community in, in the greater Portland area. And um, we retain people because they can quickly move up in the company, which is not like a lot of entry-level jobs. I mean, working for us, you start at 11 bucks an hour. And a lot of entry-level jobs like that you know, you might start at 11 and in 18 months you might be making 11.25. But for us, in 18 months, you're probably making 14 or $15 an hour and you probably have a company car. And for someone who's 25, 26, 30 years old to be making, you know, $15 an hour plus and have a company car and have paid vacation, you know, these things, I mean, it's a good job. So um, that's how we end up able to keep people. And have you been able to make your goal of having a sustainable business model? Yeah. I mean, you know, the business in a lot of ways runs itself. Um, It's what allows me to do things like be interviewed 
for a podcast <laughs> on a radio show. Um, but it it does. But I one of my big goals for the business is to be one of the few cleaning businesses in the country, the few residential cleaning businesses in the country, I should be specific about that, that offer health insurance. Right now, we're not big enough to be able to really support that financially, but it is a, a major goal of mine. So, you know, in my mind, our next big milestone is to be able to offer, um, you know, full-scale health benefits for our employees. We used to, for a short period of time, there was really generous subsidies for small businesses to um, offer uh, health coverage, and um, those went away when the Affordable Care Act came into place. But that's fine because my employees get really good coverage under the Affordable Care Act, and so they're able to get the health coverage that they need from some way, shape, or form with the ACA. But, you know, given the current political climate, who knows what's going to happen with the ACA, and I want my company to be able to provide health benefits if they lose their ACA coverage, because quite a few of my employees depend on the subsidies from the ACA to get health insurance for themselves and their families. And so if they lose that, I want to be able to swoop in and do it. So my goal is that in next year, by next year or the year after, we're able to offer um, health insurance. So that, to me, is when I'll feel like, okay, now we're really a sustainable, long-term business that'll, you know, be able to keep going for decades. You know, once I feel like we've reached that mass where we can actually do that, that's like the last, to me, the last big milestone for us. I have no doubt that you will be able to reach that goal. Mm. You seem like you've accomplished really great things in the last 10 years and um, I hope that your team continues to do a great job on my house. I have no <laughs> doubt that they will with there either because they really I guess call out Team Ashley. That's the people I've been working That's with and great. they've I'm done a really nice that. job. Yeah. I've been speaking with Joe Walsh who is the founder and CEO of Green Clean Maine, an environmentally friendly home cleaning company serving Greater Portland since 2007. And uh, I'll also say you guys have a fun Instagram feed. So thank you for that, too. <laughs> yeah, check us out at Green Clean Maine. I have to make a plug for that. We have a, such a talented photographer we're working with on that. And she's also a client of ours. And um, we've been so lucky to be able to have her help us out. So definitely check it out. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by The Front Room, The Corner Room, The Grill Room, and Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room. Chef Harding Lee Smith's restaurants where atmosphere, great service, and palate-pleasing options are available to suit any culinary mood. For more information, go to theroomsportland.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is Portland's largest gallery and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space. The current show schedule includes Nancy Simmons, Elizabeth Hoy, and many more. For complete show details, please visit our website, artcollectormaine.com. It is my great pleasure to have in the studio with me today, Amy and Allie Smith. Amy Smith is the founder and executive director of Healthy Homeworks, and her daughter, Allie Smith, is the organization's director of development. Healthy Homeworks works with landlords and tenants in downtown Lewiston to improve the quality of living conditions. Volunteers can also learn to build beds at the organization's factory and receive beds of their own after completing the program. Thanks so much for coming in. We are so happy to be here. Thank you for having us. I think you are officially our first bed-related guests. 
so <laughs> that's kind of cool. Um, but I knew you both first from Yarmouth, where you no longer either of you live. Mm, right. Somehow there was a, you took kind of an interesting left turn when you left Yarmouth, Amy. Let's Tell see, me about left that. left turn, yeah, or right, depending on direction. Sure, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, um, so this whole sort of turn started in uh, 2014, and our kids had all grown and sort of flown the coop. And our uh, middle daughter was working in Portland and struggling to find housing. She was looking at lots of different departments. They were all either very expensive or really not that nice. And she really had trouble finding a middle ground for housing. And she sort of exposed us to the housing crunch that was going on in town because, you know, we're up in Yarmouth. What do we know about this? And so we had sort of this confluence of learning a little bit about the housing market, being ready to sell our home and downsize, and um, started thinking, well, you know, maybe we'd be okay landlords. So maybe we should buy a multifamily and try that out, live there, try sitting living and see how that all would work for us. And so that's what we did. We found um, a pretty rough triple decker right downtown. And um, I went half time at my consulting job and managed the rehab of the property over the course of 2015. So that's kind of, that was my trial by fire. And boy, did I learn a lot. <laughs> but I think the most important thing I learned was, uh, number one, how much I loved that project, loved doing the work, and also how amazing it is to actually revive one of these sort of grand old buildings and create really nice living space. Talk to me about uh, the housing crunch and how it impacted. You talked about your middle child, so she was, I'm guessing, in her 20s somewhere. Yep. And, and talk to me a little bit about what you found out. Well, what we found out is is that the rental rates were just rising precipitously. I think uh, Portland had the largest, fastest rise in rents uh, a couple years ago in the country, something like 17%. Um, and at the same time, a lot of people were getting, so the rents were going up, people were getting squeezed out of the affordable spaces. And a lot of people, because the prices were going up, there weren't a lot of people who could afford to sort of um, renovate the places that needed renovation. So there was just a lot of movement in the area. And uh, we thought, well, you know, maybe we could be helpful. The piece that we didn't understand at the, at the time was the impact on the lower income population and what was happening with affordable housing and housing projects in town. And that's another thing that we started to learn about once we sort of started renovating the property. So I don't know how, how tuned in you are to affordable housing and how all that works, but I had absolutely no clue what the need was, had no idea how it actually worked. So when somebody came to me and said, so are you going to be accepting Section 8 vouchers? I was like, what the heck is that? You know, I have no, I don't know what you're talking about. And so over time, I started to learn a little bit more about it and understand what a complicated system it is and, um, again, how acute, how acute the need is. Allie, what's your intersection with this? I know you're now the Director of Development, but from what I understand, you graduated from college in 2011, mm -hmm. you worked abroad, you were in D.C., and um, you were living, you know, a, a very different life. Mm. So why did you decide to come back here? 
Well, I was very fortunate early in my career to have the experience of um, exchanging my labor and work directly for only housing and food, and that was um, in, in another country. Uh, and what I learned through that experience was what that reward felt like to get, to have my personal motivations be so aligned with the motivations of an organization that all I really needed in return was to basic living security. And when I returned to the United States and started working um, in corporate and creative spaces in DC, which are always spaces that I have you know, really enjoyed, and that was really the image of my life that I had projected to myself that was based a lot in creative success and material success, over time I came to realize how deeply missing that other element of true alignment between my motivations and top priorities and the top priorities of an organization were. And I, I came to realize that working somewhere that had a bottom line that was based at the end of the day really in profit just didn't sit right with me. Um, and it was hard to recognize that gap. I think it's always hard to recognize gaps between the things that we think are going to fulfill us and the things that actually do. So. When my mother started doing this work and we started talking about it um, and brainstorming on the phone, I came to realize that this was such a unique opportunity to not only support my family and the people that I love, but to do so in a way that positively impacts the lives of other people and you know, to move back to Maine, a place that I love and a place where my family is. I mean, I think people wait their whole lives for an opportunity like that. And to me, it was so clearly the, the right choice that you know, it kind of decision made itself. It, it seems like it would have been easy, Amy, for you and your husband to just find a house, make it nice, live there, keep doing the consulting work. Not everybody gets um, drawn to deal with these bigger issues that you were faced with and really wanted to find more about. Well, I guess you're right. But it was not altruistic to start. I have to be very honest about that. Um, we discovered, you know, again, I discovered this passion for doing this work, and I wanted to sort of figure out how to make that my job, you know, rehabbing these old properties and bringing them back. And initially, I wasn't really thinking about affordable housing, but when I started to look into, well, what would that take? Um, I realized that I had, you know, obviously very limited experience, which was I rehabbed one triple-decker, right? <laughs> and very limited money, because I had just rehabbed <laughs> one triple-decker. Um, so I tried to figure out where I could afford to do the work, where there was a lower cost of entry um, than Portland, and also where could, where could I find the best leverage, right? Where could I make the least amount of resources go the furthest, started looking into affordable housing and realized, boy, if you, if you bought a big old building and rehabbed it, you could house families. And, in, and per unit, you could give more people better living conditions. And so it was this progression, you know, and then I thought, well, and can you make money at that? Because now this was going to be my new job. So it was quite a journey trying to sort of wrap my head around that. But at the end of the day, it was like, yeah, I, I like this combination. I can do what I love. I can have sort of a nice social bottom line and hopefully just have make a modest return on that. And then the next question is, so where are you going to do this, right? And there were kind of two other places that had triple-deckers that were close enough, and that was Biddeford and Lewiston. 
Um, and I was talking to friends about this, and again, this weird confluence of, gee, I'm thinking about doing this work in Lewiston, and my friend said, well, gee, have you read Catherine Bestman's novel about all the Somali um, immigrants in Lewiston and how they've, you know, changed the fabric up there and, you know, all the wonderful things that are happening in Lewiston, the challenges? And I said, no, I, I, I didn't know about that. So I read this book, which is a great book. It's uh, by Catherine Bestman, who's an anthropology professor at Colby. Um, I can go more into more detail on that if you're interested. But it convinced me to look really hard at Lewiston to meet the people, to understand the market and the challenges. And that community is remarkable. The people of Lewiston, you know, and I mean the entire community, you know, Immigrants, you know, like everybody wants to call them new Mainers. I don't know what to call the other people who've been been there forever. Old Mainers, like, are fabulous. The city council, the um, you know, the city officials, the housing authority. All these people are so dedicated to trying to elevate the quality of living, and it does need elevating in in Lewiston's downtown core that I was convinced that this was a community that I really wanted to become part of and really help sort of, you know, with that ongoing um, effort. Allie, growing up in Yarmouth, how much did you know of Lewiston? I knew nothing. Uh, I had never set foot in Lewiston prior to June of this year. Um, I did read the same book by Catherine Bestman, um, (laughs) which uh, she purchased and sent to me um, as part of her uh, efforts to convince me to come here, and it worked spectacularly, (laughs) Uh, as most things that you put your mind to do. Um, But really, I had very little context outside of, you know, um, school competitions and hearing the name referenced, but... I will freely admit that living in Yarmouth growing up, um, I didn't see much else of Maine, you know, let alone the world. I mean, our family, um, and my mother in particular, did make a very strong effort to expose us to other cultures and other spaces, but at the end of the day, you know, when you live in a town like Yarmouth, you don't, or at least I didn't tend to venture too far outside of my immediate concerns as a middle schooler and a high schooler, which tend to be pretty uh, self-directed concerns, <laughs> or at least they were for me. So um, really, it's it's been my first exposure, and I have to just agree and amplify everything that my mother has said. I mean, I have never been part of a community like the community in Lewiston, and I feel so grateful to um, have found a, a sort of home there and so thankful to the community for being so welcoming to us. Where did you live when you were abroad? I lived in Thailand for two years. And did you find any differences, similarities between those communities and the communities that you're the community you're working with now? I think that it's always a productive challenge to work across cultures because it really challenges your assumptions. Uh, One of the assumptions that comes top of mind to me is our understanding of time. Um, And here, you know, we are always on a schedule and we always have the next block in our calendar. And if you're late, you know, that's almost a, a strike against your own sort of personal value in it. It also implicates something to the other person who you're late to that, you know, you don't care enough about them to be there on time. You don't value their time. Um, in Thailand, at least, that relationship is incredibly different. Um, and I had the opportunity to not only work with but also manage individuals um, who came from a very different cultural background than I did and had a very different understanding. And I think, you know, being put in a position where you need to 
expand your own sense of what empathy means and ex and really question the assumptions you use to navigate your life is so productive, not just in terms of having more positive and effective relationships with those people, but in terms of coming back into your own culture and really examining what are the assumptions that I allow to go unchecked in my life. And I will say that experience, I feel, has greatly aided me in being able to um, gain a just a peek into what it's like to assimilate to a new culture and all of the moving goalposts and all of the confusion that is inherent in that. Amy, where did the bed come in as as sort of this? <laughs> right, this, it's sort of this orthogonal, <laughs> wait a minute, what's with the bed? Yes, exactly. <laughs> In fact, our that was our first marketing flyer. It was like, what's up with the beds? Um, well, in the course of looking at properties in Lewiston, we went through dozens and dozens of the downtown housing stock because, again, I knew how to do one kind of building. So those were the buildings I was looking at. Um, and it was so striking to us how many people didn't have a bed. Almost to a person, people were sleeping on the floor, on mats, on deflated air mattresses, large families, you know, 10, 12 member families with two beds. And it was just sort of this weird thing that we kept noticing. Um, and as we tried to figure out how could we really have sort of a maximum impact with, again, our limited resources, um, it became pretty clear that um, sort of the, the tensions that existed in the low-income housing um, had a lot to do with people not sort of understanding um, their roles in the equation. So landlords and tenants maybe not having the same level of understanding of what it meant to um, live and in and care for a building. Um, and so there were there were issues that that came up with that. And the the bed issue is a great example because. Um, people were sleeping on the floors. They were dragging mattresses in off the street when they could find them. This was causing bed bug infestations, right? And then it's the landlord's responsibility to get rid of the infestation, but the tenant needs to p play a role in that. And so the combination of sort of the, the living conditions, the tensions that it existed that, um, to my mind, really was just sort of a lack of information and, and shared resources. We thought, you know what, this we need to come up with a with a, a nonprofit that can help with this relationship between the landlords and tenants. And that's a big lofty goal. So again, so then again, what about the beds? So when we thought, okay, we're gonna try to create this network of positive engagement with this community in particular, and what could we do that would have immediate impact on the quality of people's daily lives who are living in this housing. And the first thought was, okay, well, let's create this network. Let's get some buying power going for the landlords and tenants so that they can purchase beds. Like, let's just start there. And I started looking into that, and beds are expensive. And at one point, I sort of looked at my, my math and my figures, and I said, you know what? We should just build beds. We can do it cheaper. We can set up shop right there in Lewiston. Maybe, maybe we could even create, you know, sort of a job training, job opportunity there. And we decided to just go for it. So that's where the beds come in. And what we've been astonished by is the level of interest. 
So the minute we sort of decided to do this, we put out a little flyer, we set up shop at Build Maine, which was mm-hmm. a trade show in Lewiston. Um, and we, there was so much interest and our waiting list started to grow because what we said was for 16 hours of labor, um, you can come work in the shop, build a bed for yourself plus one or two extras, and then you can go home with your bed frame plus a mattress with a bed bug encasement. So that was our sort of operating assumption, 20, uh, 50, uh, sorry, 16 hours for a twin, 20 for a full, call us and we'll put you on the list. And that's kind of what happened. So <laughs> so we set up shop right in downtown. Uh, the Pepperell Mill is walking distance to all this housing stock um, because the housing stock exists because of the mill. <laughs> so all these houses that we talk about and that we work in, were a lot of them were built by the, um, the businesses that were in the mills to house their workers many of whom, anecdotally, were also large immigrant families. So it's been this whole, you know, progression for us, but but now we've got this um, this sort of toehold to positive engagement space, and we've been so fortunate to work with just an amazing array of folks to sort of make it a success and help promote the fact that that opportunity exists. And I'd, I'd love to have Allie talk a little bit about sort of the experience that people have when they when they volunteer. Yeah. <clears throat> so the core premise of this program, if you look at outcomes, right, the most tangible outcome is that a person who did not have a bed to sleep in, did not have a healthy place to sleep, now has a bed to sleep in. And I think that, you know, anecdotally, if we all take a minute to imagine what it might feel like to wake up every day on the floor or on a couch as opposed to in our bed that we can kind of emotionally feel what the gap is between those two experiences um and i want to highlight here too that if you are sleeping on the floor if you are sleeping on a couch that is fundamentally intended to be a temporary state of being nobody really plans to be under those conditions indefinitely. And so as time wears on and you wake up each day and you're immediately reminded of this gap between your expectation for yourself and the reality that you're living, that is a hard emotional and mental place to start your day, to be reminded of something that you've yet to accomplish. So I think the gap between being on the floor and being in a bed, that's fairly self-evident. The bigger gap and what we're trying to give people the experience of is between sleeping on the floor and waking up in a bed that is a testament to your ability to learn something new, to gain a new skill, to succeed in a new environment, to build new relationships. And I, you know, in addition to this work with Healthy Homeworks, I also work part-time at a youth shelter in Lewiston where I provide educational support to youth who are homeless or at risk of homelessness or are otherwise alienated from their families. And what I see time and again in these relationships and and in having these conversations with youth is that the biggest gap is not between their abilities and the opportunities they're seeking. It is between their sense of self and their self-esteem and the ability and the motivation and the confidence to pursue those opportunities. And so in that context, as well as in this context, what we are really aiming to do is to provide people with an opportunity 
to succeed in a new environment to gain that confidence and to really feel like, wow, I do have the capacity to improve my own life if I'm given the chance. And so our program is oriented entirely towards that. You know, folks don't need any level of woodworking experience to do the program. We've had people with ranges of experiences, qualifications, disabilities, I mean, you name it, we are open to everyone. And from the minute someone walks in the door, it is an environment that is based in positive reinforcement um, and the value of growth, first and foremost. So the first activity that people complete is they build what's called a laminate, which is the primary piece in the headboard. And that serves as a diagnostic for us. We can really understand based on that process you know, what someone's manual dexterity is like, what their understanding of spatial relations is like, you know, how um, active their listening skills are. We can kind of extrapolate all these things about their learning style and, and really meet them where they're at and then intentionally structure their time with us so that they feel a very real sense of progression. I mean, the folks that we interact with, they get this message from society repeatedly, whether it's because they're recovering from substance addiction, whether it's because they've just been unemployed for a long time, whether they're, you know, new to the country and, and you know, struggling and, and working hard to overcome cultural difference, to adapt to new working environments, you know, whatever the case may be, they get this message that their labor isn't valued and that they're not really expected to learn new things and to grow and to contribute in a fundamental way to their own well-being. So we really want to counter that narrative and give them the opportunity to really feel like they've succeeded and then to go back to that gap that we're talking about before the difference between being on the floor and being in a bed to wake up not only you know rested and with the physical and mental kind of obvious benefits that come from sleeping well but to wake up and be immediately confronted not with the things that you haven't accomplished yet but with this so such a tangible reminder of the creative power of your own hands um, and your own ability to not only improve your own life but also to improve the lives of others because we're very clear with people who are you know working with us yes we're building this bed for you and we're also building this bed for your neighbor who's across the table from you who you're getting to know and the third bed is going to an organization that provides housing first services for people who are immediately homeless and that's the other person who's going to benefit from this to give them that sense of community engagement um, and to show them their ability to positively impact the lives of others as well. Amy, what types of numbers are we talking about? How many beds have you built to date? So to date, last year, we gave away 17 beds and we sold 51 beds. And that's between uh, June and December of last year. So our goal for this year is 90, give away 90 beds and build um, and sell 180 beds. Because the way this works, right, is it's the money that comes in from the sale of the wholesale or retail beds that can fund the program so, so that we can afford to give away the beds. It costs us about $250 to give a bed to uh, an earn a bed volunteer between the frame, the mattress, and the bed bug encasement. So the math has kind of surprised us because we, we sort of, of course, knew that we would need money in order to, to give the package, but we sort of didn't think about the other end, which was, well, and we need orders for beds, so there's something for the volunteers to work on. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, towards the end of, of, uh, of the year, we sort of said, oh, okay, so now what we really need to focus on 
is selling beds so that we have the work and the money needed to continue the program. So last year was our, you know, it was like a pilot for us. Um, and we really just wanted to prove the concept that, you know, we could have anybody come in, they could succeed at building a bed. We would deliver and set up the bed and everybody would be happy and it would be a very positive experience, you know, and that's what we've proven so far. And we also have uh, developed our wholesale market a little bit. We got an order at the end of last year from Avesta Housing uh, here in Portland. They're building a new um, Housing First um, facility for veterans, a uh, 30-bed facility out on Bishop Street. And so they purchased their beds from us, which is very exciting. Um, and Preble Street is another big customer. Um, the way we work with nonprofits like that is we sell them the beds at wholesale so that they can maximize their dollars and get the maximum number of beds to folks. And then currently FX Marcotte up in Lewiston is carrying um, our beds and Hub is gonna start carrying them in the next month or so. So, you know, our, our goal is to get to the point where we can take 10 volunteers a month, 10 builders, 10 earn a bed a month, so give away 120 beds a year and then be producing and selling, you know, 360, 380 beds. And once we sort of get to that point, then we really feel like we can start creating paid jobs again for this very same population because now we've got a list I think we've had 24 people through the program so far delightful you know come on <laughs> back they want to come back and volunteer without the promise of a bed just to help and you know it's a it's fun it's, it a, it's a really fun <laughs> environment so so that's what we we would love that because that's that's a lot of beds, 120 people, 120 households, you know, to be getting beds. And um, we would also like to get to the point where we can take repeat builders because right now we have to limit it to one one bed per household. But then once a builder completes our program, they also can buy beds wholesale from us. So we're just trying to get as many families and people into safe sleeping arrangements. So the numbers, I don't know if those numbers seem big or small to you, but it's, um, but we, we feel really good about sort of the, the impact that, that it's had so far. I encourage people who are listening, if you're a listener and you're interested in this program, um, we'll put a link to Healthy Homeworks on our show notes page. This is a great program. I appreciate you're both coming in and you're both spending the time to do this. We've been speaking with Amy Smith and also with Allie Smith. Amy is the founder and executive director of Healthy Homeworks, and her daughter, Allie Smith, is the organization's director of development. I really wish you all the best. I'm sure you will reach your goals because I can tell that you're both extremely passionate and motivated in this project. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 290, Cleaner Homes and Beds for All. Our guests have included Joe Walsh, and Amy and Allie Smith. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love Main Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Main Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Main Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love Main Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belayo. I hope that you have enjoyed our Cleaner Homes and Beds for All show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. 
May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Berlin City Honda, The Rooms by Harding Lee Smith, Maine Magazine, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Paul Koenig. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasson. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Lisa Belial. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.